Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to the award-winning Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old-school basketball to a new-school audience. And today we bring you the story of when Isaiah Thomas went off. And I'm sure that you are thinking, well, which time? He has had a lot of great games over his career. Nobody gets to the Hall of Fame by accident. Some consider him the second best pure point guard of all time behind Magic Johnson. And I am not sure exactly where I would place him because I have to throw in Bob Cousy and Oscar Robertson into that discussion. But in any case, Isaiah Thomas is a 12-time All-Star, a two-time champion, a five-time All-NBA, two-time All-Star Game MVP, an assist champion, a Finals MVP, and he was an easy pick for the NBA's 75 list. So when I say that Isaiah Thomas went off, I am specifically speaking of Game 6 of the 1988 NBA Finals. The game took place on June 19, 1988. I was still a kid at the time, and I watched intently to see the Lakers take a step toward another title. So let me paint the scene for you. During the 1980s, the Detroit Pistons were slowly getting better each and every year. They were contenders to win the Eastern Conference. Unfortunately for them, the Boston Celtics with Larry Bird were standing in their way, but in 1988, they finally defeated the Celtics and punched their ticket to the NBA Finals for the first time in over 30 years. The previous time that the Pistons played in the NBA Finals was in 1956, when they were still located in Indiana and went by the name Fort Wayne Pistons. The fans of Detroit had never seen their team play for the championship. This was something very special. The Pistons were an unusual team in that they played nine players as part of their regular rotation. Most teams back then rarely went past seven players in trying to win a championship. Starters were expected to play over 40 minutes per game the closer they got to the trophy. The Pistons had so many weapons, they could go big, small, fast, defensive, offensive. Coach Chuck Daly could play his guys in so many combinations to counter whatever the other team was throwing at them. The Pistons were led by their captain and vocal leader, Isaiah Thomas. The other starters were Joe Dumars, Adrian Dantley, Rick Mahorn, and the guy that I love to hate, Bill Lane Beer. Coming off the bench were Vinnie Johnson, John Sally, James Edwards, and a very young Dennis Rodman. By the way, I have to pause here to talk about one of my favorite NBA nicknames of all time. Vinnie Johnson was called the Microwave, and they called him that because he could heat up almost instantly. In the finals, they would match up with the Los Angeles Lakers, yes, my favorite team as I grew up in Southern California. The Lakers were captained by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but the vocal leader was Magic Johnson. The other starters were Byron Scott, A.C. Green, and James Worthy. And coming off the bench were Kurt Rambis, Michael Cooper, and Michael Thompson, the father of Clay Thompson. The Lakers were the defending champions and were looking to be the first team to go back-to-back since the Boston Celtics did 
submitted in 1968 and 1969. Yeah, it had been almost 20 years since any team had won two championships in a row. The theory at the time was that repeating as champions could not be done anymore because once you win, every other team in the league is coming after you and throwing everything they have at you. In other words, as the champion, you were every other team's big game on their schedule. You got everybody's best effort for 82 straight games plus playoffs. The thinking was that it was just too hard to win with a target on your back. The series was a bit back and forth. The Pistons struck first by winning the opening game at the Fabulous Forum in Inglewood, California, where the Lakers played prior to the Staples Center. The Lakers then held serve in Game 2 and evened the series at one game apiece. But things were only going to get more challenging for the Lakers as the next three games were going to be in Detroit, where the Pistons played in the Silver Dome, a football stadium. The Lakers won the first game in Detroit for a two-game-to-one lead in the series, but the Pistons won games four and five to pull within just one game of a championship. They would get two chances to close out the Lakers, but it would not be easy as the final two games were to be played back in California. And that brings us to game six of the series. The Pistons were primed to win the first championship in team history. Despite their two previous trips to the finals in the 1950s, they were still looking for their first championship. There was also a buzz in the air. Whenever a team has secured three victories in the NBA Finals, the NBA brings the trophy to the next game, just in case. Also, the commissioner of the NBA is on hand to present that trophy, and workers build a platform for the trophy ceremony, and the champagne is put on ice. Boxes are delivered to the arena with t-shirts and hats to give to the players in case they win it all. Basically, a lot is going on in the arena when one team pulls within one game of winning the whole thing. The players notice it, and it adds a sense of excitement to the game. This is a good place to take a break, and I'll be right back with the game, and in particular, Isaiah Thomas's performance. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear, and so we're so pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings your sports history to life anywhere. The Row One gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. And in Row One Shop, check out the thousands more of unique Unique items with a retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts, long sleeve shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com, R-O-W number one, for access to the full Row 1 catalog and for gallery prints and gift items, plus get a 15% discount off all prints on the Row 1 Pictorum Gallery with coupon code SHN15. Follow the link on the show notes. Welcome back and let us get on with the story of Game 6 of the 1988 NBA Finals. The Detroit Pistons were up three games to two over the LA Lakers and were ready to end the series and fly home with the first trophy in team history. The game gets started at a good pace. Isaiah Thomas scored the first basket of the game on a layup in the first minute. As the first quarter got started, it was a role reversal in terms of strategy. The Pistons were fast breaking on the Lakers and then getting back quickly, forcing the Lakers into their half-court sets. It was like the two teams decided it was opposite day and played the other team's style. The Pistons were up 15-10 when Thomas hit the next 7 points for the Pistons. A layup, a 3-pointer, followed by a mid-range jumper. Thomas had 9 points at the end of the first quarter and the Pistons were leading 26-20. The Lakers woke up in that second quarter and started running every chance they could get. 
Lakers coach Pat Riley brought Michael Thompson in for an aging Kareem to take advantage of Thompson's quickness. The Lakers were able to outscore the Pistons 33-20 for the second quarter to take a 53-46 lead going into halftime. Thomas only managed a single free throw in that second quarter to give him 10 points at the half. The Lakers felt that they had things going and under control. They had the fans behind them and the stars were smiling like Jack Nicholson, Michael Douglas, and his father Kirk Douglas. In the 1980s, the forum was the place to be seen if you were Hollywood royalty. Now let us get back to the game. Being down 7 points at the half, the Pistons decided to adjust how they were going to attack. Chuck Daly wanted Thomas to attack offensively and look for his own shot. He figured that the Lakers would not be ready for Thomas to become the primary scorer. And Chuck Daly was right. Thomas came out on fire. He hit a series of layups and mid-range jumpers. The Lakers could do nothing about it. He had scored 14 points in the third quarter alone when everything seemed to stop for the Pistons. Thomas came dribbling down court on a fast break. He dumped the ball off to his right to Joe Dumars, who made the layup to get the score within four at 70-66 in the Lakers' favor. But what could only be seen in slow motion replay was that Isaiah Thomas inadvertently stepped on Michael Cooper's foot and severely twisted his ankle. Nobody knew what happened in the moment. The Lakers inbounded the ball quickly and took off down court. They saw that Isaiah was on the floor and the Lakers wanted to take advantage of the 5-on-4 situation, and they did take advantage. Michael Thompson got a quick, point-blank layup to put the Lakers up 72-66. Coach Chuck Daly screamed for a timeout, which they took right after Thompson's basket. The Pistons trainer Mike Abdenauer quickly rushed to Isaiah Thomas even before the timeout was taken. They held Thomas get to the bench and checked on his ankle. If this had been a regular season game, Thomas would have probably been out for a week or two. But Isaiah Thomas was only 16 minutes away from his first championship. He once said in an interview that as he was sitting on the bench, he started thinking about his mother, the rest of his family, all of the coaches that helped him along the way. He thought about his teammates and felt that he owed it to the team to at least try to get back on the court. After being out of the game for only one minute of game time, Thomas checked back into the game. He got the ball after another Lakers basket and realized that he could not push off on a bad ankle. Driving to the basket and using his incredible quickness were not going to be an option that day. He could continue running the offense, but he was going to have to become a spot-up jump shooter. The real challenge would be on the defensive end. He was going to have to guard the off-guard position, which meant checking Byron Scott or Michael Cooper. That was the best he could hope for. Trying to stay with Magic was not going to work out very well. But he continued to carry the load on offense. In the last four minutes of the third quarter, he made five shots. A three-pointer, a floater, two jump shots, and a layup. He brought the Pistons back out in front with a score of 81-79. to He finished with 25 points in just the third quarter. He scored 14 prior to the injury and 11 points in just three and a half minutes after the injury. He finished the third quarter with 35 points total for the game. Thomas then opened the fourth quarter by hitting the first shot that brought him up to 37 points for the game. The Lakers then went on a nine-point run. The Pistons continued to battle. Thomas was not going to be able to sit at all during the fourth quarter. At that point, it would have been worse to take a break because you do not want an ankle injury to cool down and stiffen up. Isaiah was going to have to keep the ankle warm by playing in order to keep it loose. If he sat down at this point, he would have been done. The rest of the fourth quarter was back and forth. The Lakers were up 95-91 when Isaiah got poked in the eye. The Pistons had to call a timeout to check on Thomas's eye this time. So in addition to the ankle, now he had trouble seeing. 
but he was a warrior. After the timeout, he led the Pistons on a seven-point run to take a 98-97 lead. Thomas hit a final jump shot to give himself 43 points for the game and to give the Pistons a 100-98 lead with a minute and 29 left on the clock. He shot a fallaway jumper over the outstretched hands of Magic Johnson, who is eight inches taller than Isaiah Thomas. Joe Dumars then made a pair of free throws to go up 102-99 with exactly one minute left in the game. The Pistons were only 60 seconds away from their first championship with a three-point lead. They just needed to play good defense. Chuck Daly brought in Rodman and John Sally to give the Pistons their strongest defensive lineup. Byron Scott hit a jumper to make it 102-101 Pistons with 50 seconds left. After a Pistons timeout, they got the ball to Isaiah Thomas. Despite the injured ankle, he was as hot as any player that I had ever seen. I could not believe what Isaiah Thomas was accomplishing on a bad ankle. I had my hands up near my face because I was so nervous. But the taller Michael Cooper, the defensive player of the year from the season before, was all over Isaiah Thomas. It was like being defended by a spider. Cooper's long arms and legs were all over the place, keeping Thomas corralled. Cooper played Thomas extra tight, which would normally be a mistake because Thomas was so quick with a blow-by dribble. But the Lakers knew that Thomas could not drive. He could only shoot. Cooper did not have to worry about Isaiah's crossover because the ankle was not going to let him go anywhere. And that was probably what made the difference in the game. Cooper knew that Thomas's only option was to shoot a jumper, so he played him that way. If Thomas had not been injured, there is no way that Cooper plays him like that. Cooper would have taken a step back out of respect for Thomas's driving ability. Thomas missed the shot and the Lakers grabbed the rebound. They got the ball to Kareem, who had a terrible shooting night. His sky hook was just not there for him. Bill Lane Beer had played Kareem very effectively. Kareem was only 3 of 14 for the night, but in a clutch moment, you go back to Kareem. Kareem went for the sky hook and Lane Beer fouled him with the body and Lane Beer fouled out of the game with only 14 seconds left. Like the clutch Hall of Famer that he is, Kareem calmly made both free throws for a 103-102 lead. After the Pistons' final timeout, they decided to run a play for Joe Dumars, since it was obvious from the previous possession that Thomas was unlikely to get off a clean shot. Dumars missed, Byron Scott grabbed the rebound, and Rodman fouled him. Byron Scott, normally a great shooter, he's a lifetime 83% shooter from the free throw line. He missed both free throws in the clutch. The Pistons had no timeouts left, so after Scott's missed free throw, they had to go the length of the court to get a shot up. Thomas got the rebound and Magic stepped to him with hands up that took about two seconds off the clock. Then Thomas finally passed the ball up court to Adrian Dantley, but the clock ran out before they could even take a shot. The Lakers got away with one. As a Lakers fan, I am willing to admit that. Isaiah Thomas played 44 minutes and scored 43 points, which was his personal playoff best scoring performance. He also added 8 assists. For the Lakers, James Worthy led them with 28 points. Magic Johnson chipped in 22 and 19 assists. The Lakers came back two nights later and closed out the series with a 108 to 105 victory. Isaiah Thomas only played 28 minutes in that seventh game on a really bad ankle where he only scored 10 points. He gave one of the most incredible performances but came up short. The Lakers completed the first back-to-back -back titles in 19 years. The NBA Network brought in Isaiah Thomas John Sally and James Worthy to re-watch this game and to give their comments, James Worthy said that if Thomas had not twisted his ankle, that the Pistons probably win Game 6 and the title. Even as a Lakers fan, if I am being honest, I agree with that assessment. If Isaiah Thomas did not injure his ankle, 
the Pistons probably would have won that series. But as Game 6 ended, I changed the TV channel to something else. I could not believe what I had just seen. Isaiah's performance will stick in my mind until the day I die. It was truly one of the great performances in NBA history. The mental fortitude it takes to play on an extremely painful ankle still boggles my mind. I still don't know how he did it. But the Pistons would come back to the finals the next two seasons, and they won it in 1989 and 1990. Isaiah eventually got to hoist the trophy. Twice. So, that is it for today. Join us next time when we share a profile of the life and career of Hall of Famer Dave DeBusher. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.